Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Adrian Cornejo. It's July 20th, 2023. We're at Hayu Wine Farm in Hood River. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, nice to be here. Uh, first question is why wine? Why wine? Um, well, it was, it, it was something that I was born and raised in doing, and it was easy to just, uh, just kind of follow through with it. It's the industry. Everybody wishes to grow in the industry you start whether you choose education or not, and I was born into it. So it was the, the way to keep on checking and keep on growing. So tell us about that. Tell us about being born in the industry. What, what was your family doing in the industry when you were born? Well, I, I mean, it, it goes farther back than wine, but when my father was in Mexico, they would sell uh, cheese. My grandpa owned a, a dairy farm. Well. I say a dairy farm, but it was like 10 cows. And they milk, they would milk those 10 cows. They would make fresh queso fresco, and they would sell that. My grandpa also had about maybe four to five acres of maguey, which is an agave plant, part of the agave family, I guess. And they would make pulque with it. And he would kind of bootleg that through, through uh, which is an alcoholic drink, a uh, drink of the gods, pulque. <laughs> um, and that's how they kind of ended up. But when my dad was 18, he migrated out here. Um, he... I guess when they first landed out here, they uh, he would kind of chase the harvests. So they would kind of jump around. They would go through California. They would start at California, whatever harvest happened to be there at the time, and they would go California, Oregon, Washington, and then jump right back to California and start all over. And they would, it could have been strawberries, it could have been pears, apples, it could have been oranges, all the way through grapes. Um, so that's what they started doing for the first five years when they landed here. Uh, until my sister Jessica was born. And then that's when they decided to slow on down. And then they found Hood River and is, uh, they had run through here, I guess, through that harvest runs that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And they landed here and then they just kind of stood here. They found this farm. They were looking for a uh, foreman. It used to belong to a yodeling family, this place. It was 45 acres at the time. It belonged to a yodeling family, which I never knew their last name. This is what my dad told me. But funny enough, doing some sales uh, early early this year, I ran into the daughter, and she it was super odd. But I ran into her to their daughter, the Odin family. She was like, "I was born and raised on that farm." I was like, "I was born and raised on that farm." So it was super cool. We talked for hours, um, but yeah. So that's how that started, and then so my dad landed. He worked for a year here, went back to Mexico, came back. And when he came back, this place had already had new ownership and it became Pheasant Valley Winery and Orchards, or Orchards at first, mm -hmm. eventually became uh, Vineyards 10 years later. Um, yeah, so when my dad started farming, it was all pears and apples and he farmed this land for 40 years or so. Um, and a lot of the farming that we did was with our own family. Our, I, my uncles would migrate as well. And my dad had a big family as well. I think it's 15 total siblings, um, six of them who are brothers. So all, all six brothers would come out and they would work. One of them still works here. My uncle Ruben, the oldest man of the bunch, he's still around. Um, so yeah, so they, they, they did all the farming for this farm, this particular farm. Um, and then as I was born shortly, you know, four or five years later after my sister and we kept growing, we actually lived at that house there. Um, 
and yeah, so we just kept on growing and kept learning the farm. And then uh, somewhere in there, I want to say 21, 2020-ish, I think. 20, was it? Oh, oh, 01 or 99 is when they decided to chop trees down. Um, and then we kind of worked into producing and farm, turning this whole place into a vineyard. We chopped trees down, we started planting every single plant, we put down every single post out there and, and transformed this place into a vineyard. Uh, this building came down before, we're in uh, pears and apples, all this was pears and apples, so all the way up to the driveway was apple trees. So they chopped this down and this became a packing house for fruit first. So they put this as a packing house for fruit. Uh, this was the loading dock there and um, cold storage for pears and apples because uh, this has always been an organically grown farm. They've never really tried to use any heavy chemicals on it. Um, so the Hagies, the owners of Pheasant Valley Orchards, they made this packing house for fruit for the little guys because it was just so expensive going to the heavier end packing house. So it was nice having the organically grown pears being packed here for a lot of the little little farmers anybody that was under 10 acres or so is considered little these days so um, so they did all the packing here and then slowly that is what became the tasting room and just kind of transferred on over to tasting room for pheasant valley and and uh, yeah pheasant valley and winery came to happen and and uh, when i got of age as well as my brother my brother's a big part in welvin do it as well and uh, when we both got of age we just jumped in i mean it was farming farming and then the wine was always there so it's like we would help bottling we would do the labeling we would do the whole nine yards but when the winemaking came available we just jumped on it i mean like again just continuing to grow in our in our you know career path i guess is the best way to put it um and um, yeah, so we just kept on checking through there. And I think with the Heggies, they had a heavy turnover of winemakers. So we got lucky enough to work with about six to eight different winemakers. A lot of them local from around the area. Uh, these days, some of them probably have longer history in their wine department, but we went through about, yeah, six to eight winemakers through them. And then eventually when Hiu, I believe 2014 or 14, they took over. So then Nate Reddy became the master here to take over the winemaking. And, and that was uh, the next phase for us when it came to winemaking and things. So we'll come back to that and catch up in a second. I'm curious about, uh, obviously you mentioned pear, apple, orchard. Uh, what was the transition like? What was the work like to turn this into a vineyard to start with? I mean, I guess, you know, ripping trees out was a lot of heavy equipment. I mean, we brought a lot of machinery to do that because it is, it is heavy, heavy work. So they brought a lot of machinery to rip a lot of trees out and kind of reshape it a little bit. And you got to root it all out. I think the intensive part came in when we had to like laborly put all the posts in, put all the wires in, all that's done by labor. Nothing, it's really no machinery to come in and do that. Um, we planted all the plants, plant by plant. I mean, we nursed a lot of them then eventually we took cuttings off of them and we grew them and uh, so yeah so a lot of own rooted some of them were grafted and stocked brought in from UC Davis um, so yeah so just a little combination of everything I think a lot of it is cost efficient to do one thing and then the other ones are a little easier to just kind of grow yourself and farm them um, so yeah I think that's where, where all the labor was definitely I was putting it all together um, and then grapes don't really need much water, but uh, initially you still have to put in that drip, drip line and that whole thing. So it's, it's definitely a thing for, for irrigation and stuff. And definitely pears and apples is harder work than, than, uh, than vineyards for sure. For you personally, what was, was there anything exciting or different about grapes as compared to other things you had been working on? Um, 
Well, I think I, I guess I guess down to down to it all, the beauty really comes in in the winemaking half of it because it's that finished product. That's what you can display. It's what you can show. You know, it's where you can show off. Um, but in farming, there is a there is that other half of beauty where it's more of the lifestyle. I think it's the lifestyle of just waking up in the morning and getting out there and it's just like if you truly love it if you truly enjoy it then you're out there in the farm every day and it's just it's easy so I think for farming I know for me it's a lifestyle I enjoy doing it I I wake up and it's it's therapeutic is the best way to go at it you can truly sit out there and think and and let your mind go wild and talk to those plants all you want and they listen very well <laughs> So as after the vineyard was in and, this, and it started to kind of transition into winemaking, tell me about your sort of initial forays into the production side of things. What was it like as you started to work in production? What, what did you enjoy about the work? Uh, well, just learning. I mean, there was learning, learning. Uh, with a lot of the other winemakers for Pheasant Valley, it was just learning their styles, how they took care of stuff, barrels. And, and you know, I, we've always been sponges, I guess, to trying to learn as much as possible. So. Um, and, and generational, I mean, with my brother, same thing. Like I would pick, cause I was always, I'm six years older than my brother. So we would always, um, I would learn something, learn it, learn it, learn it. And then it was just like hand over the job over to the brother. Cause it's like, okay, your turn. And then I could go to the next one. And that's how it's always been since we were born. We just kind of like, I would learn something, step it down, learn it, step it down. And, and still to this day, we're still kind of doing that. We're working through it. And um, yeah, I think, just the knowledge of it and, and it's and it's fun to just see how it's all made and how creative which is why when Hayu took over I mean it was a whole other ball game it was just another level of styles and winemaking and it and that really is the I believe what really opened it up for us and it was like oh boy look at this we can really take this to another level and and uh, get get super creative with it. Let's talk about that talk a little bit about that transition to Hayu taking over as they came in what did your role become and what did you sort of see for like future potential for what you could do? Well, I mean, uh, the transitioning was fairly smooth. I mean, nothing truly changed for us. I mean, it was just, I guess, you know, another boss. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but the farming definitely was different farming styles, different techniques, a lot more, you know, uh, regenerative and, and a whole other more natural forest-like style farming. And so there was definitely some changes to all of it. Um, but after doing it for so many years, you really start falling in love and understanding what's happening. And I think uh, it all was just, it was fairly smooth because the farming, ideally, you would really have to make massive changes. The grapes, there's, I feel like there is different techniques for it, but the farming itself is still pretty, pretty the same in many, many different farming I feel like like everybody the, the concept is the same thing you need airflow you need sunshine um, how you decide to do that would be the slight differences in it and then of course the decide whether you decide to throw chemical sprays in there or not or biodynamic organic there's so many different routes you could take these days um, so there's definitely changes there but the physical labor half of it I feel like it's pretty basic concept of airflow sunshine um, with your grapes. So at what point did you start to think about making your own wine? Well, uh, I think it was 2015. Um, 2015, there was a small, that was the first batch of wine that we made. We made a Pinot Noir right off of the farm here. Uh, there was a section that um, 
folks here at HiU just weren't going to take off. They were like, ah, we're just going to leave that section. We don't want it. It had it had some some powder mildew on it. It was just it was just tough to kind of go through it. We're having to sort it all out, and a lot of it was going to end up on the ground. So I made a small little batch of one. I think I got about 10 cases of Pinot Noir. We went through it. And we, me and my brother went out there and we took off all the good stuff we could find. And like I said, we got about 10 cases of it. And we made that little batch. Uh, then Christmas came around and we gave away that little batch. And everybody was like, this is super good, super fun, and you should try it. And we made it all natural. No, we didn't add anything to it. It was all yeast, no, no sulfites to it or anything. And unfiltered the whole nine yards. And, and folks really enjoyed it and loved it. And, and then it just kind of clicked. It was like, hey, you know, maybe we could take this a step further. And sure enough, then the folks here at HiU opened up the doors and we're like you can totally use this place as you wish and sure enough we just kept starting making bottles making and storing is what we've been doing for many many years um, until uh, I want to say 21 that I kind of slowly parted ways here myself from HiU and and have started to truly chase out here chase the sales because no one else can sell it better than me I guess Come back to that in a moment, but I'm curious about your skill as a winemaker. You obviously mentioned the first one was kind of just kind of dipping your toe in and seeing what it was like. Tell me about developing that and about uh, the confidence to make wine year after year. Well, you know, I mean, it's the the hands-on, you know, we've been, even when I was with Pheasant Valley, I mean, it was hands-on 100%. A lot of the winemakers we, we went through, you know, they, they're, they're good at doing the blending, doing the... The, the more fun half of things, but when you get into when you get into the labor half, I mean, you're in there cleaning the tanks, you're in there hands-on with all of this stuff. You're you know you're cleaning tanks, you're cleaning barrels, you're physically doing 100% of it all. So I feel like there's no better way to learn in winemaking than getting in there and getting dirty. You know, I mean, with a lot of jobs, I feel like, but winemaking is definitely one of them. Um, the science part of it can truly be is definitely needed as well. Um, but when we get into this like natural natty style wines, then maybe not so much, because then isn't that the fun of it? Isn't that what makes it special and different, I mean? Um, so I think that's what really started switching for us. And, and then especially meeting Nate and how he makes wine and just the, just the whole other monster of style of winemaking for us, I think that's what truly did it. And it was like, well, we can create this and make it happen and, 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 and add our own little twist to it. And so how would you describe the twist? What was, what was it you were going for in the wines you were making? Well, at first it was what I like to drink and what my brother likes to drink because we were like, well, you know, if it doesn't sell, then at the end of the day, we'll have a lot of stuff we like. And we know we're going to like to drink, so, you know, we'll end up with a lot of that. So our first 16, 17 wines, a lot of it was just made to our palates. Like, this is what we like. And it ended up being a lot of reds. And I feel like they're classic style reds. Um, some of our older style wines, um, they're well fermented, well aged a lot of skin contact. I've got a Syrah that I did a 90-day skin contact on there. Um, whole cluster, so you get a lot of the carbonic, a percentage of carbonic fermentation in there. Um, so we did that. And as the years have gone by, we have definitely have changed our style and taste um, to more fresh, lighter style wines, but as well as I feel like there's still, everything's aged in oak. We'll probably continue that. Um, but yeah, I think we'll definitely be just making wines that we know we like mm -hmm. and, and hopefully folks agree, mm -hmm. I think is the best way to go with it. Because our minds are a little crazy and sometimes we tend to really make some funky things as well, so. 
<laughs> well, tell me about that. What are some of the funky things? Well, you like make? Uh, just uh, like I've done some just clashes of grapes and wines. Like I've done, a, uh, I did a mescalanza, what I call mescalanza, and it's a 50-50 blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc, white and red. A lot of people have been enjoying that. They just don't understand it. They're like, but why? Why white and red? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> You know, and it just turns out to be in, it's like, you could call it a rosé, you call it a red, you could have it either way, you could drink it as a red, you could chill it down and have it as a white. And it just, you know, messes with people's minds, but when they taste it, they love it. And it, it's one of the one of our top sellers right now, so it's pretty cool. Um, we've also done a combination of fruit and wine and grapes, which is also fun when people have been enjoying those. Um, and yeah, just even with the nattiness of the wines, I feel like you get more into these dynamic style flavors, things that truly change. So a lot of these wines you can have as is when you first crack open that bottle, but then you can also decant it and it changes these characters to the next level where it could even taste like a completely different wine. Um, so I think that's where the fun kind of comes into, into play. It takes a lot of confidence to make a wine like that. I'm curious about that from your perspective. Is it, is it, do you have a, is there kind of a master plan or is it you're kind of seeing things and, and making it up as you go? Uh, you definitely have to put some thought into them. I mean, your, your thought, your, you have to think before you make. I mean, it's, it truly need to go with um, well thought out wines is probably the best way to go at it. Cause if you don't think at it, you, you can't, which you end up eventually, you always, I feel like every winemaker's got one nasty one in the back somewhere where they don't talk about it ever, but they got one. If you ask them, they've got one. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to think them out real well. And even whether you're blending, I think the harder is when you get into field blending, that can get to being a lot harder. Cause then it's like when you're putting it together, you're putting it together. But, but when you get into blending, you definitely have to really sit down and think about it and taste and just make sure it's well balanced. And so there's definitely some good thought behind all winemaking. And I know a lot of folks uh, like to throw minimal intervention out there a lot. I hear that a lot, but I'm like, well, that's a, you have to take that word very lightly because I feel like there's definitely a lot of intervention either way, um, but you try your best to try to stay away as much as possible. Uh, what about selling the wine? How did that, how, did you did you find that something enjoyable or natural or did that take some time? <laughs> well, I've only been doing it for like a solid year now, maybe. Um, it's, Particularly not my favorite. I don't, like I said, if it was up for me, I'd be in the farm all day and that would be my thing and, and winemaking. Uh, that's where I enjoy being. But getting out there, I mean, it's been fun meeting tons of cool people. I know I've been hitting Portland a lot, locally Hood River and the Dallas and just the surrounding areas. And it's been fun meeting people. There's a lot of interesting, cool people out there. So that's super fun. And, and everybody's been super open to tasting and reaching out and, and just kind of having a good time with it. So it is, it is fun and it is, uh, um, but it is, that been said, it's also a very competitive market. So you're also out there being, um, you have to be a little aggressive about it. You also have to kind of be determined in what you're doing. Um, and, and the hardest part is just kind of tooting your own horn, I think is the hardest part in this whole thing is you have to kind of toot your horn in a way where you sound cool, but not like a crazy weirdo, I guess. You know, it's, 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 it's a hard balance that you have to find there. I'm curious when you, if you remember the first time or one of the first times when you gave a bottle to someone that you didn't know, Tell me what the experience is like having a having a wine that you've made and giving it to someone else. Right. Um, well, there's there's mixed reviews on that one, right? Because there's that's the fun part of the beauty of wines is. Um, 
people are going to love it or people are going to hate it. And that's just, you just have to accept that. It's like create, it's like a piece of art, right? If you paint something, you draw something, folks are going to love it and pay millions for it. Or they're just going to be like, burn that thing. What is that? Like, you know, we don't know. And that's the same thing with wine. You know, you, you have to find your people. You have to just go out there and look for the ones that understand what you're doing. And, and I think that's the other trick or the other side of this is just finding those people that understand what's going on and what you're going for. And, and then they'll understand the wine. They'll be able to taste it and appreciate it a little better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key ingredient in there. But yeah, but I mean, I've had people and even going out doing tastings in the last, uh, last year, there's folks that won't say a word. Thank you. Bye. And then there's folks that'll give you feedback, some good, some bad. Um, so yeah, so you get a little bit of everything. Um, but again, you just don't take anything to heart and you just kind of keep on going because you have to understand that your style may not be for everybody. So as you kind of transitioned from high U to just to doing, to doing Nueva Aventura full time, what was the goal? What, what did you see kind of as the, as the, the, the goal you were aiming to reach? Uh, well, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think our goal is to eventually find our own little space and truly, I think that's when we'll truly really be able to express ourselves, when we can have our own little space and have, you know, our own farm, of course, our own production facilities and, and things like that. And I think that's when the, I think that's our goal. I think that's definitely where we want to reach. That's, that's where we're heading. That's where we want to be. Whether, you know, hopefully we end up in the gorge, but it could be in the surrounding areas. We don't know, um, but we're definitely keeping an eye out for it. And, and we'll see if we can get to, um, to that spot. That's definitely where we're heading. Along those lines, do you have kind of a, uh, a size in mind or a kind of a finished product in mind? What, 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 would it, what would it look like in your mind if you had the place you wanted? I mean, ideally, I think 10 acres is pretty, pretty right. Like, I think it's, it gets you in the realm of you have enough grapes for yourself. Because well, even then, I mean, I don't think you'd end up farming 10 acres, but say you planted eight acres for us something that not too many people need to manage. I think 10 acres is totally, I mean, I'm doing six acres by myself right now and I feel like I can manage them just fine. Mm -hmm. So if we were in the eight to 10, I feel like it would be pretty cool where it wouldn't take much people, me and a couple of buddies, and hopefully we can knock that out. Um, of course, we'd want animals. We, I've always been an animal person, so you know, we'd have some animals running around. Um, and then, yeah, the facilities and having being able to show that to people, I think would be, would be pretty cool, pretty simple. As you go forward, do you have, are there other kinds of projects you're looking to tackle, certain varietals or certain styles of wine that you're excited to try? Um, you know, I really like the concept of field blends, just like here at HiU. I, the field blending is just such a cool opportunity to just reach other levels. You know, I think I, I being able to being able to stomp sommeliers, I think, would be another, that's my own personal thing there, where I want sommeliers to taste it and be like, whoa, what is this, you know? And I think that's uh, something that I'd love to do. And being able to, with field blends, being able to say, hey, there's like 80 different varieties of grapes in this thing, you know, that'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be pretty amazing to tell people. And, and same thing, I mean, even with once you're in barrel and being able to blend that to another level, like it would be, mm -hmm. it'd be pretty cool. And from the winemaking side, how how has your style changed, if at all, and, and do you see it changing more as you as you keep working? Yeah, I mean, I think for Nueva Aventura, we are always going to have different styles. I think we're going to just kind of jump around and, and try new things. Um, 
unless we really find something that people start asking and be like, can you keep making this? Cause it's so amazing. But even then I feel like I'd rather be the guy that makes 10 cases that are beautiful and people remember those forever than, than continue to try to copy it and make it over and over again. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's a beauty in that and I think that's who we'd rather be. But yes, we will continue to switch things and make fun things and classical things. And just because I know classic has been around for generations, so why change something that's beautiful as well? Um, so yeah, so I think we'll have a combination of many styles. I think that's where we wanna be. And in terms of sort of the marketplace, uh, do you see a spot for yourself going forward? Where do, you, where do you kind of see yourself fitting in in the Oregon wine market? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to say right now since we're, I feel like we're not much out in the market yet. But, um, but you know, I, I, a lot of it is just getting people to taste it. I think this is the hardest part for me that we haven't reached yet is getting people to taste it more and more, doing a lot of the pop-ups. I've been getting into that. There's been a lot of cool people opening their doors for us that way. So when people taste it, I feel like they enjoy it. We can sell it a lot more. Um, but so far, I think we're in a lot of bottle shops. I, I've been working on my pricing list there to get into some glass pours and hopefully we'll get into more restaurants and hopefully we can get some windows going in that way. Um, but yeah, for us, it's just kind of getting out into the world and getting people to taste it. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. So it's, it's hard to say where we'll end up market-wise. Um, but I feel like the people that understand natural, natty style wines, as well as just weird style wines and combination wines, I think those are our people. So finding them is where our market will end up being. Whoever those people may. <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge so far in, in getting the, the brand off the ground? Biggest challenge is, well, a lot of it is the biggest challenge is just uh, me learning. I think is, is how fast can I learn, keep on going, you know, and keeping up with the world. Um, I have been learning this side as I'm going, so it's I'm going and learning as I'm going kind of deal. So it's, um, so yeah, so a lot of it's just learning and understanding what the market is and what people are looking for because that I keep finding these things out but a lot of it is just sitting down and talking with people and they're like well this is what we like these are the prices that we're looking for this is that this is that and it's like okay well then I think that will also kind of guide you to where you're going to end up being mm -hmm. you know because I don't want to change my side of things mm -hmm. so it's just adapting to them but also, there is a market for certain restaurants. There is, you know, you don't want to end up at mom and pops because they may not be able to afford it or they may like it, but they can't afford it. So it's kind of like you have to find that balance as well. So I think that's where, where it's just learning, learning for us. And I think that's where our, how we end up being and finding our people, I think is the best way to continue to put it, I guess. And what's the sort of success or accomplishment that you're proudest of so far? Uh, just getting out. I mean, I'm pretty excited just to be out into the world and hearing people like getting feedback a little bit, you know, uh, we've even like through Instagram and social media, a few other places, you know, folks are starting to reach out and they're like, Hey, we had a bottle. I mean, that's super cool and exciting just to hear the feedback from people that are purchasing local wine or out in Portland and they're buying wines and then, and they're reaching for our label. So it's super cool. I think that's the, one of our proudest moments there. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the label, about the, the name and the sort of design. What were you, what were you going for? 
Well, it kind of describes the whole thing. I mean, Nueva Aventura translates to new adventure and it's our new adventure as well as the mentality behind it was when every person decides to open up a bottle, it is gonna be a new adventure. It may be called the same thing, but it'll be a new adventure every time you take that cork out. Mm -hmm. So it kind of summed us all up pretty easily for us. And it's a new adventure because we're learning as we're going. Like, I, you know, so <laughs> and, and in, in all of it, I think when it comes to farming, I can do blindfolded and even in the winemaking, I feel like there will be mistakes, but um, I feel like I, I'm, I feel confident enough to be able to make some good wines. Mm -hmm. um, but out, getting out in this side of things is a whole other monster, mm -hmm. so. Well, I'm curious about your perspectives on the industry, especially the, the local industry out here. How have you seen it grow uh, since you've sort of been aware of it? And what, especially what's focused kind of on the gorge specifically, what does the gorge industry look like right now? Uh, I mean, for grapes, I feel like it's booming, honestly. I mean, I'm not the most, uh, what's the best way to put it? I'm not like, I don't keep up on the world myself. I'm, I'm pretty, I kind of keep up to myself and do me a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I don't see what the world does. I just kind of try to focus on me and my little world. Uh, but I feel like the wine industry around here is growing. I mean, it continues to grow. I think it'll evolve into this more natural and, and, and I see it more and more where, whether it's just younger crowds or the next generation moving into buying farms and, and the older crowds kind of getting out, of, <laughs> retiring and heading on out. And I think the new mentality is coming in of, of more organic or more natural and more regenerative. So I think in the next five to 10, we'll, we'll lead more into that. At least for the gorge, I see that happening more and more. I think a lot of the younger winemakers that I, that I know and have met around that are just in my position where they're just starting or they're a few years into it, um, everyone's starting to switch over and starting to see the value of this whole, of this whole beauty side of things, of regenerative style farming. And I think everybody's really moving in this direction. You know, could take five to 10 years, but I think it will it will switch in this in this 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 way. With this particular style of, of farming, what are the what are the challenges of it? What are the things that you had to learn when when how you came on board, and what what do you try to take away from that? Well, I mean, uh, you, it's a lot more labor intensive, is what it comes down to. I mean, you, you just, you know, cause you get, I mean, that's taking steps back. It's walking away from a little bit of today's technology, taking steps back and, and just kind of like leaving that stuff behind and just like, hey, you know, let's get into this hands-on. Let's put, you know, you're gonna end up with a little more blisters. You're gonna get out there. You're gonna be more physically into it. Um, but a little bit at the end of the day, yeah, it ends up being that much more satisfaction. And I think when people taste the wines, they'll be able to truly express that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and takeaways, I don't, you know, it's, it's farming. If, if you don't, if you like to burn daylight, it's not for you. Like farming, you wake up early and you get into it. Like you have to, you love it or you don't. It's one of those deals. I think farming is, is you have to go try it. And if in the first, you could find out in the first week of July when it's hundred degrees, you'll find out if you truly like it. If you can commit to it, if you can get yourself a seven hour day on a hundred degree weather day, then you're going to be all right. You're going to make it. So I think it's, it's when you find out, you know, I mean, it's, so yeah, I, I think there is no takeaways. I mean, it's not in the farming, not in the style. I think it's just, it's just whether you like to do it or not. It's, it's a pretty simple thing, I think. So you've talked a little bit about sort of goal, future goals for the, for the brand. What else are you looking ahead to for either for, for yourself, either professionally or personally, anything else on your horizon that you're excited about? Um, 
Well, you know, I, I think for us, like I said, being able to have that farm is what we're excited about right now. And, and yeah, just having the taste room, I think, would, is where we can truly express ourselves and having the farm and being like, hey, this is what we bring to the table. And I think having the taste room is where you can get people to sit down and you can talk to them and you can get them to taste and tell them what you're doing. And I think that seems to be the more simplest way to truly express yourself because mm-hmm. um, I feel like when you're out there and the folks are reaching for your labels also super cool but but also are they truly understanding do they see this or you know so it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of that or they just because so and so told them this is a fun bottle go grab it and and so yeah so I think that's kind of the the our future right now And what advice would you have for someone who was looking to enter the Oregon wine industry? What kind of words of wisdom would you give them? Uh, well, if they're really get, I mean, you just have to really want to get out there and do it. I think it's just put your finger on that line and don't take off, you know, don't take your finger off the line and just keep on chucking and one day at a time and don't take anything personal. I think that's one thing that you really have to adapt to because again, and then just, yeah, find your people and keep looking for those people. And when you do, you know, hold on to them because I think that's the best way to go. Right. That's all the questions I have for you. Uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything that we didn't cover? You like uh, to cover today? I think we covered pretty well. <laughs> Can't think of anything myself. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for sharing your stories with us, for joining us on this beautiful day in the gorge. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we're going to let you off the hook. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.